Welcome to Sister Scriptorians, where we are devoted to learning, likening, and lifting others one principle at a time. Episode 53, The Psalm of Nephi. I love this part of scripture that we're going to review today. In fact, I love it so much that I have some trepidation that I don't normally have because I have this not-so-secret desire to help you love it as much as I do. So I pray that wherever you're at right now, and whatever you're doing, that you'll just take a moment to ask for the Spirit to be with you, to teach you, to soften your heart and to invite the Spirit to confirm to you the truths that Nephi so beautifully packs in to what we call the Psalm of Nephi. And the Psalm of Nephi is found in 2 Nephi chapter 4, starting with verse 17. Sister Scriptorians, Nephi is human. <laughs> Did you forget that? I know I sometimes do. His, his responses are always so perfect. He thus far has shown us such deliberate obedience. He has been stalwart under tremendous pressure and opposition. And I think that we can easily forget the human in Nephi, especially if we read the Book of Mormon, forgetting it is not a journal. But sections of this man's experience purposely recorded to preserve his ministry and his persuasions for us to come unto God. That means, or that tells me, that there was a lot of quote-unquote in-between moments. I would imagine that in those in-between moments, that is the time that Nephi is figuring everything out and searching his soul. And then he comes and he records his conclusions and how he chooses to carry on. However, here in chapter 4, we do have revealed to us a very vulnerable side of Nephi, and I am so grateful for it. Because of it, I can relate to Nephi. I can have hope that my faith in action can someday make me become like Nephi. That I too can see the workings of God in my life and that those workings aren't being withheld from me until I have the perfect responses always, the perfect feelings always, and the elimination of opposition or adversity in my life. No, the Psalm of Nephi shows us that even in the midst of figuring our way through all of that, the Lord is there for us. Nephi was able to teach us beautiful doctrine that will bring us closer to God if we will follow the pattern that he teaches that will help us to be able to accomplish that task. He isn't perfect, and he shows us that he too is still having a mortal experience. Okay, so let's dive in. Not many days after Lehi passed away, Laman, Lemuel, and the sons of Ishmael were angry with Nephi. The Lord had constrained him to speak unto them. And I looked up the word constrain because I thought that was kind of funny. The Lord constrained him to speak to them. And the word constrain means to make someone yield. It's like the Lord was making Nephi yield 
until he was able to say these words to his brethren that the Lord wanted him to say. And it sounds like it, it was some sort of correcting. We don't have information as to what the conversation entailed, but Nephi's words coupled with Lehi's words before his death were obviously not being accepted well. The scriptures don't say what the dynamics are here. Nephi says that those are captured on his other plates, which contain a history of his people. But I imagine, just like when there is a change in leadership and there are two opposing forces, that there were some rumblings as to who should lead and how they should lead. And we already know from Lehi's last words to Laman that he is to lead. However, there is a condition he can lead as long as he hearkens to Nephi. And this is to ensure that the statutes and the laws of God are abided by. And I imagine that this was a really tricky condition to put into place once Lehi was gone. And most likely, there was some pushback. Just a guess. But for today's purposes, it is enough to say that with the death of his father and the contentions of his brothers, Nephi felt weighed down. And I think this is a really good place to insert that Satan's toolbox isn't just padded with temptations that can overcome us and lure us away from righteousness, but he also thrives when we experience despair and discouragement. He tends to show up in those moments, and he preys on our vulnerability to weaken us further. And these sorts of feelings come to all of us at one time or another, but it is what we do in these moments that make all the difference in where our journey will lead us and what we'll experience along the way. Nephi writes to us that his soul delighteth in the things of the Lord, and his heart pondereth continually upon the things which he has seen and heard. And this is a little glimpse into Nephi's nature. He is a ponderer. He has opened his heart up to the experience of delighting, finding joy in what the Lord offers. His soul has been trained to find it beautiful and fulfilling. And so he seeks after it. He's made it an essential way of his life. But his way of life, like our way of life, it's a mortal life. And though none of us doubt the immersion that this man had in the scriptures, we see he still was required to wade through human emotions. He still was accountable to the experience of mortality. He was not made to be above it, but he had to pass through it, just like you and I. And Nephi captures a moment in his life in which he proclaims, O wretched man that I am. Yea, my heart sorroweth because of my flesh. My soul grieveth because of mine iniquities. I would never describe Nephi as a wretched man. Yet I don't doubt that that was precisely how Nephi felt in this moment. That he felt distressed, miserable, and inferior to his circumstances. I don't doubt this because I have felt that way before. And look, it's Nephi! Nephi, whom the Lord has shown such great things to. The Lord has shown Nephi his great and his marvelous works. The Lord loves Nephi. And Nephi always turns to the Lord. Nephi's desires, his thoughts, and even his feelings are all in alignment to learn, to love, and to praise the Lord. Yet Nephi still experiences afflictions. But you and I could say 
He's doing everything right. He's doing everything he's supposed to. If you learn nothing else from this podcast episode, please learn this. Your feelings of being wretched are not an indicator of how God feels about you. They are not an indicator of your personal spirituality. They are only an indicator of affliction, and they are only giving you an opportunity to choose in that moment. That's it. What will you choose to do with it? So if I haven't lost you yet, let's see how Nephi works through discouragement and despair. He goes on to give us a little more human perspective about his experience. He writes, I am encompassed about because of the temptations and the sins which do so easily beset me. And when I desire to rejoice, my heart groaneth because of my sins. Now, I don't believe we are reading some deep personal confession of serious sin, but we're reading the vulnerable inner yearnings of a son of God who just desires to bask in the joy that God offers. And he's doing something hard and he's experiencing something hard and it's pushing all his buttons and all of his mortal natural man tendencies are on fire and he is trying to keep his covenants and make his savior pleased. If I were Nephi, what temptations would I be encompassed about by in these circumstances? For me, no doubt, it would be anger, perhaps engaging in some belittling or gossiping or having outright contentions with someone, or, you know, just keeping that all inside. Because I can do that too. I don't even need to speak anger with another person in order to feel the ramifications that anger can bring to my spirit. It begins in my gut, and I feel it pulse through my veins, and it feels hot, and it feels really big. It sometimes can make me feel shaky, and I hear it consume my thoughts, and I know what it feels like to groan because of its influence on me. We don't know the why, to Nephi's anguish. But keep in mind that it is likely similar to what you experience in your low moments. Now, when we experience a taste or are swallowed up by such destructive human emotions, what do we do with it? Do we wallow? Do we practice self-hate? Do we lash out and then feel even more shame, believing something is fundamentally wrong with us? Do we withdraw and hide? Do we hurt others by tearing them down so that we can just feel better, so that we can feel in control? Do we blame God or do we lean into him? Nephi leaned in. Step one, he remembered in whom he places his trust in. He said, I know in whom I have trusted. God has been his support. And then Nephi, our teacher of tender mercies, the man who set the intention at the very beginning of the Book of Mormon, telling us that he will show us that it is the Lord's tender mercies that we get strength from and deliverance from. He then begins to list his tender mercies. So step two, remember the tender mercies you have already received. Nephi remembers that God has been his support. The Lord has led him through his afflictions in the wilderness. The Lord preserved Nephi upon the waters of the great deep. 
He has filled Nephi with his love, even to the consuming of Nephi's flesh. What does the Lord's love feel like to you? For me, it can sometimes get to the point of being so big and consuming, electricity in my cells, even a tingling in the follicles of my hair. My heart feels like it will burst and that I can't hold it all within my frame. Those are the feelings that I recall when I read Nephi's description of having it consume his flesh. Because when I have those moments, those are special moments. It's, it's not very often. I feel it's so big. So when I read Nephi's words about it consuming his flesh, that's what I substitute in. What are you going to substitute in? How do you feel it? Nephi also recalls how the Lord confounded Nephi's enemies to the point of causing them to quake before him. Think about it. All of that desert wandering and all those months upon the sea with brothers who harbored murderous intentions and desires towards Nephi. Yet they were not able to fulfill their plans. Yes, there were some sketchy moments, but the Lord always pushed Nephi through them. Nephi recalls how the Lord has heard his prayers by day and has given him knowledge by visions in the nighttime. And when Nephi has prayed in mighty prayer vocally, the Lord has sent angels down to minister unto him. Now I have had some mighty vocal prayers. And perhaps I have even been given angels to minister unto me. Sometimes in those moments, I think it's possible. It's possible that they have been there, and yet I just haven't fully been aware of their presence. But it's possible. But Nephi in this moment is assured of their past presence. They ministered unto him. And yet, even though he had had something so magnificent, he still was susceptible to opposition. And what I would take away from that is that you're probably doing better than you realize. Look to the Lord whom you trust and who has blessed you with your own personal list of tender mercies. Finally, Nephi remembers how he has been carried away upon the wings of the Spirit unto exceedingly high mountains, and he has beheld great things, so great that he cannot even write them down. So pay attention to the strengthening and delivering language that Nephi contributes to the Lord, led me, preserved me, loved me, consuming me, confounded my enemies, heard me, taught me, and carried me. How has he done this for you? He is the God of this universe, loves you so much that he is doing this for you. Isn't that amazing? That the all-powerful God steps down from his throne and he gets on your level, side by side with you, eye to eye, and he visits you and he treats you better than you deserve by giving you the mercy you ache for. After recalling all of this, Nephi asks the question, if the Lord in his condescension unto the children of men hath visited men in so much mercy, why should my soul weep? And my soul linger in the valley of sorrow, and my flesh waste away, and my strength slacken because of mine afflictions. 
boy, I would sure like to get to the point where my soul isn't weeping, where we get so low that we're in the valley. And the only way out that we can see is climbing the mountains that surround us. We want to get to the point where we don't waste away, where our strength isn't taken away. That is a place where I desire to be at the end of my mortal journey. That I'm leaning on God, the God that I trust. And afflictions are happening, but they're not consuming me. Nephi then steps into step three. He makes a choice. He starts by acknowledging where all of this despair that is preventing his progress is coming from. And he's discerning where all of his strength and deliverance is coming from. Now, for explanation, I don't believe all negative emotions are destructive. I believe that we are supposed to experience all of it in order to gain wisdom over it, experience, and a deep understanding. And part of our experience is to determine when healthy negative emotions start to cross over into the destructive. It can be a very fine line. But if you start having destructive thoughts about others, about yourself, or about God, well, that may be an indicator that you've crossed. Because these wouldn't come from the Spirit of God. Nephi writes, Yea, why should I give away to temptations that the evil one have place in my heart to destroy my peace and afflict my soul? Why am I angry because of my enemy? And I can see here that Nephi knew he had crossed and that the evil one was having more influence with him than he was comfortable with. And he acknowledged it. He noticed how he was being weakened because of it. He had just finished acknowledging the strength that the Lord had blessed him with in the past. From those tender mercies that the Lord was giving him, he was so wise to question, why am I angry because of my enemy? What could they possibly do to him that would have any consequence upon him when his sights are fixed upon God? So Nephi chooses which way he'll face, and he chooses God. And step four, Nephi tells his soul to awake. No longer droop in sin. Rejoice, O my heart, and give place no more to the enemy of my soul. Lucifer is the enemy to our souls. He wishes for us to destroy and hate what he cannot obtain. But we do have the power to cast him out. And to like Nephi say, Do not anger again because of mine enemies. Do not slacken my strength because of mine afflictions. Do not allow Satan to have a place within you is what I feel he's saying. Step five, Nephi rejoices and he cries unto the Lord. He says, praise him forever. He is the rock of your salvation. Nephi asked the Lord to redeem his soul, to deliver him out of the hands of his enemies and to help him shake at the appearance of sin. Nephi didn't want to dabble in it. He didn't want to allow a little bit for his entertainment. Remember, he already said he delights in the Lord and he asked God to help him shake at the appearance of sin. Now at this point, Nephi starts getting bold and he asks the Lord to shut the gates of hell that are before him because his heart is broken and his spirit is contrite. Look at his confidence Nephi knows he is good. He isn't facing this trial of his with questions of his worth or if what he does is pleasing in the sight of God. 
He's not questioning his standing with God. He knows he's going through something hard. He is standing before the gates of hell, but he stands there knowing his heart and spirit are exactly where God would have them be. So Nephi asks God to shut the gate, to stop his entrance, to block him from further going down this wretched path. Instead, Nephi asks the Lord to not have the gates of righteousness ever closed from him, that his path won't be blocked, but so that he may walk in the path of the low valley, that I may be strict in the plain road. So my interpretation of this is that Nephi knows that there are valleys in life that he's going to have to pass through, but he doesn't desire to get off the road. That his experience of the valley doesn't mean that he is off the plain road, but that he is just a traveler through the valley. But the strict road that he is on is taking him to the gates of righteousness. And I believe that is exactly the metaphor or the visualization that we must keep in mind when trials come upon us. That we don't need to throw out all of our confidence in our relationship with God. That we don't need to throw that all out the window and believe that we must examine all meaning of Him. But that we just keep to the road and pass through. Why climb a mountain when there is a plain road for me? Now at this point, Nephi gets even bolder. And why do I say this? Look at the punctuation. There aren't question marks behind Nephi's utterances. He is stating a matter of fact. I don't know. Do I dare say that he is demanding it of the Lord? We are taught that to demand of the Lord is wrong. But I don't think there's anything unrighteous about what Nephi's doing here. To me, it's power. It is power on display because he is a covenant keeper who knows what his privileges are. And he is invoking his right to escape the grasp of the adversary and to call down the powers of heaven in his behalf. There is so much here that we can learn, Sister Scriptorians, to not be timid in our faith or in our belief of how he feels about us. To believe him when he says that all it takes is a broken heart and a contrite spirit to tap into the power that has already been bestowed upon us by him. Nephi states, O Lord, wilt thou encircle me around in the robe of thy righteousness? Uh, I can't get the question out of my voice. But no, there isn't a question mark here. It's exclamation points. He isn't wondering if the Lord could do this for him. Nephi knows the Lord can and will. O Lord, wilt thou make way of mine escape before mine enemies? Wilt thou make my path straight before me? Wilt thou not place a stumbling block in my way, but that thou wouldest clear my way before me, and hedge not up my way, but the ways of mine enemy? Nephi then reiterates his faith in Jesus Christ when he says, O Lord, I have trusted in thee, and I will trust in thee forever. I will not put my trust in the arm of flesh. Yea, I know that God will give liberally to him that asketh. Yea, my God will give me, if I ask not amiss. Therefore, I will lift my voice unto thee. Yea, I will cry unto thee, my God, the rock of my righteousness. Behold, my voice shall forever ascend up unto thee, my rock and mine everlasting God. Amen. 
can you feel the power that Nephi is able to pray to God with? There isn't any bargaining. There are requests, requests that his enemies not have power over him. But he is not asking to be removed from his situation. He is asking for strength to meet it head on and to move past it. He knows, he knows that God gives liberally to those who ask. And so Nephi asks. Nephi is done focusing on his adversities. He knows that that just causes sorrow, that it removes his strength, and therefore peace evades him. Instead, he changes direction, and he faces God, and he calls on God's support, and he trusts that it's going to happen. I ask you to ponder on these scriptures. How might they be the prescription you need to pull yourself out of the sorrow you find yourself in, or to help give you the courage to call upon the Lord, not amiss, but directly. For isn't he your rock, your rock of salvation, your rock of righteousness, your rock, and your everlasting God too? Sister Scriptorians, ponder upon the Psalm of Nephi this week. Read it out loud over and over again. Gather the strength this sermon desires to empower you with. By following the steps Nephi outlined, remember God, remember His tender mercies, choose Him over the adversary, awake your soul, rejoice in the Lord, and cry unto Him with confidence, because you know you approach Him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. Have a good day.